The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Rotoworld Football Podcast, the most important podcast in the universe. My name is Josh Norris. This is three podcasts in a row, three days in a row. It's going to be four because tomorrow I'm going to talk with Easton Stick, North Dakota State quarterback prospect, in your feed tomorrow night, Thursday night. Boy, oh boy, it's been a busy few days. By the way, if you play fantasy baseball, if you haven't done your draft yet, uh, the, basically the entire Rotoworld baseball crew plus some of the Yahoo dudes. Uh, completed a live mock draft like two plus hours. I don't even play fantasy baseball and I enjoyed it. So go check that out on Roto World's YouTube page. I'm not going to waste any more time. Subscribe, rate, review, do all that lovely stuff. Instead, I'm going to have Raymond Summerlin on here with me. Ray, hello. How are you? Living the dream, my friend. Yeah, I, I only play in one baseball league every year and I have done literally zero research for it. So that was my first kind of foray into what was going on. Didn't know some of the names. I'll, I'll tell you that. Right. I, there are right. a few of them that I, I was not aware of. But yeah, it was really good, really informative, really fast-paced. And th- that's set. Now that's set. It was looking good. A little jealous. A little jealous. I'm pretty jealous. And, and we got Snarky Pat on the sideline. Like that was, <laughs> that was the best part to me. Snarky Rich, Pat with Matt Straup. Rich and I have already claimed the Snarky Desk for the Got football it. draft that's coming up because I feel like we could we could take that that pessimism Uh-oh. just to the next level. But you both do it with a smile on your face. Like Ray, we've talked about this before. There's no one better who seems like jolly and says everything in their voice and tone with such positivity. But if you listen to the words, they're actually negative. It's like one of those songs, right? That seems upbeat, but if you just read the lyrics, they are soul crushing. That's basically how you speak on a daily basis. Yeah, I grew up on country music. What, what do you expect from me? <laughs> on this podcast, a lot has happened since Monday's episode with Rich Rebar. You can go listen to that. Uh, we basically recapped day one's news. Then yesterday, I had Danny Kelly from The Ringer on this show. And so, Ray, we have so much to talk about. This might be the best day of doing this. Uh, we'll start with Odell Beckham. Uh, Odell Beckham was traded for a 2019 first-round pick, 2019 third-round pick, and Jabril Peppers. I believe that's pick 17, pick 95, and Jabril Peppers. Ray, what kind of deal did the Giants make here? This is just an awful deal. And I know people are trying to, you know, trying to talk about it. You know, they they ended up getting more than than the Steelers were able to get for Antonio Brown. I understand that. Odell Beckham is younger. He didn't have come some of the same 
you know, concerns that Brown created by the way that he that he tried to leave. He wasn't really asking for new contracts. He wasn't trying to force his way out. There are lots of reasons he got more. Either way, they traded away a actual generational talent. You know, I know we like to throw that word around for Saquon, an actual generational talent. The if not the best, then one of the best wide receivers in the league. And what they got back was all right. They got back a first round pick. They got back a good safety to replace the guy that they probably should have just given the franchise tag to. And they got back a third round pick. But if you were happy with that, then you're over, you're overvaluing the pick. And I heard you say that today. And I think it's, it's hundred percent, right. What, what they've given up is a proven superstar for the small chance that that first round pick turns into a proven superstar. And that's just not, not a good deal. There's a reason why we don't see players of this caliber traded very often because this is what you hope draft picks turn into are talents like Odell Beckham. Even immediately from that rookie year, he has been an absolute superstar, superstar, an absolute game changer. I am so sick, and we'll get to the Brown side of this in a second, but I'm so sick of hearing from Giants fans or really anyone, it doesn't matter who you support, saying, well, what did he give us when he was here? You know, they lost 11 games and 10 games and whatever else when he was here during certain seasons. Are you putting that on Odell Beckham on a receiver who every time who I believe Ray is on pace to be one of the most productive receivers of all time? It is absolutely incredible to me that you can make that conclusion based on a win and loss record versus what this player is impacting on the field in counting stats, whatever you want. There's a reason a player like this doesn't move very often, and it's because he's the type of player that you try to keep on your team when you are bad, when you are improving, and then when you are good and winning championships. To your point, Rich wrote this. He wrote a big fallout piece. You can go read on rotorworld.com. And he wrote about how on a per-game basis – Odell Beckham is as good as anybody to this point in his career at his age. Like it's what he's been able to do per game. Now there are injury questions and I think people are raising those questions. That's certainly fair. It's not fair enough to trade Odell Beckham, but it's certainly fair that there are, there are some injury questions there. And that's why the per game numbers, maybe it's, maybe that's kind of hiding that a little bit, but on a per game basis, when he's on the field, like there's no one better. He is exceptional. He plays the game at a different level. And I said last week during our Q&A podcast that I think that receivers have been uh, overvalued a little bit, and I agree with that. I think secondary receivers, kind of that next tier of receivers, have been overvalued. I think there's a large, there's a very large group of receivers who are about the same level of talent, and overpaying guys like Terrell Williams is right. doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> but there are a handful of guys that are just above that. Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham is in that group. And that group of players is are the players that you pay. That group of players are yeah. the players that you hold on to. And we've seen two of them traded now for basically cents on the dollar. And it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Maybe, by the way, those GMs and the people who are in my mention saying that they're not mad about it, maybe they're right. Maybe maybe that overvaluing receivers, not just at the secondary level like I think it is, but it's a little bit easy all the way up to the top. I don't think that's true. We'll have to see what happens. But from where I'm sitting right now, it looks like a terrible deal for the Giants. So we do have to talk about this from a fantasy perspective. I think the only real concern you can raise about this for Odell moving to the moving to Cleveland is volume. You know, he was consistently near the top of the league in target share when he was healthy. He was third in the league last season in weighted opportunity which is a metric from Josh Hermsmeyer, which combines target share and air yards. So he was third in the league. He was one of the most targeted, one of the most used receivers in the league. 
I don't think that that's going to happen as much in Cleveland. You know, they have Jarvis Landry there. They have whatever's going to happen at running back there. They have David Njoku there. So he's probably not going to get to that same level. But on the other end, he's working with a much better offense and probably a better quarterback. If he's not already, Baker Mayfield will, in very short order, become the best quarterback Odell has ever played with. And I think we forget that Eli has been trending down. He's been trending the wrong way for a long time. So even though when Odell was first there, I mean, Baker might be better than that, Eli. I think he probably is. And the Browns last year averaged 286 passing yards per game after Freddie Kitchens took over, which would have been fifth most in the league. So this passing attack last year without Odell Beckham was right near the top of the league. I I think that this is going to be a great situation for him. And I'm very excited about what this means for him from a fantasy perspective. The volume and targets might not be there, as you mentioned, but the efficiency from 2018 versus 2019 is going to shoot up. Like you don't have to watch a Giants game long from 2018 to see Odell Beckham running open and Eli Manning either not throwing it to him or overthrowing it to him off target pass. So the counting stats could have been a lot better. What this also means for the Browns is it shifts things around and we know it's going to be an overall positive. What it does is when they traded for Jarvis Landry last year and gave him a new contract, they tried to use him as a downfield threat for a good portion of the season. The whole season, really. It was up and down success there, right? Like some situations it was good. Many cases it wasn't. Uh, I think if we look at where Jarvis Landry wins, it's pretty obvious. It's in that short to intermediate area and inside. Guess what? He can thrive there now. This will open up so much. And you mentioned the running game. And then now we also have David Njoku. Plus, you also have Antonio Callaway on the outside as a downfield threat as well. Sorry, Brashad Perryman. What Freddie Kitchens showed in his limited time, and it's almost certainly why he got the head coaching gig and why he's still going to be a play caller, along with a creative mind like Todd Munkin, is that creativity. Because they led the league in 13 personnel in three tight end sets. They Then they would go and run counter actions with Jarvis Landry running the ball from inside. Um, then they would go with multiple wideouts and just spread you out and attack you laterally and vertically. Add Odell Beckham onto that with an improving player, and this is exactly the time when you build around a young quarterback. All you can do is applaud John Dorsey for knowing when your window is, knowing when you can attack and be aggressive in team building, and doing so by acquiring one of the best wide receivers in the game. And I just want to add one more note on there. I, I'm with you a little bit on Landry. I, I don't know if his usage is going to change because that usage stuck around even when Kitchens was there. And it was actually more yeah. efficient once Kitchens uh, took over. He averaged 8.15 yards per target once Kitchens took over, which would have been the second highest total of, of his career if that was a season number. So I'm not I'm not saying he's going to be like better than like a back-end wide receiver three like he kind of was last year, but I don't know if this is like a death knell for him. And I, I think the usage, like you mentioned, the usage will really tell the story there. The one more thing I'll add for the Browns is about Baker. I love Baker Mayfield. I had him as my number one dynasty quarterback in that draft last year. I, I absolutely loved him. I thought that he had the opportunity to just be a fantasy superstar. We saw when he took over with Kitchen, he averaged 282 passing yards per game with 19 touchdowns in eight games. He really took over. The problem with Baker is he was already being drafted pretty high in draft.com leagues. He was the fifth quarterback off the board. I believe this isn't going to do anything to kind of tamper those expectations. I probably won't have him in any redraft leagues, but I'll tell you what, I am very excited about the leagues that I have in my roster and dynasty. So I am, I'm really looking forward to using him there. I do think we need to talk about the giants, the other side of this. Can I ask you a question for that first? Cause I don't want to move on this topic yet. Sure. Uh, Do the giants have a plan? No. 
I agree. So some people build this as a rebuild, which is not true. They just traded for, was it a 31 year old guard? Isn't that what Kevin Zeitler is? Yeah. Like it, it doesn't, they're keeping Eli. This is, does not look like a rebuild by any stretch of the imagination. It looks like them trying to build a run blocking offensive line and run the ball 600 times a year. That's what this looks like. Not a rebuild. The 2018 off season and the 2019 off season, could not be more drastic. And to me, that shows a long-term plan was not in place. And it's a very reactionary team. And I don't want to go down this road, but I, I will take one step down it here by saying every general manager in the NFL gets to their spot because they most likely can evaluate and they believe in their evaluations. But Dave Gettleman is on another tier of his own. It shows up loudly during drafts when I think as four or five years as a general manager, he has never traded down during an NFL draft. What does that tell you? Well, that tells you that whatever player is at the top of his board in that situation, he believes in his evaluation to the utmost. He believes that player is going to be good and he drafts them rather than understanding that you might be wrong, rather than understanding that the draft, even if you're great, you get 50, 40, 30% correct. And so the goal of the draft should be to play the odds and have more darts, pick accumulation. And yeah, he's doing that here, but he's doing that here by giving away a player that almost certainly I would be stunned, amazed that he would be able to replace with one of these draft picks he has this year. One of the things that separates a good decision maker from a bad decision maker, especially in this context, is the understanding of how little you know and how difficult yes. it is to predict the future. Smart people understand what they don't know. It's a Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Smart people, people who are good at what they do, understand how little they know about that and, and how many things can go wrong, even if they are the best in their field. I mean, look at Bill Belichick's drafts. Bill Belichick is unquestionably the best at, at doing this. Like, I don't think anybody would, would deny that, but you go and look at his second round drafts, especially, right. and you, and you see all the names littered through there and all the misses that he has. That's not because he's bad. It's because that's just what happens in the draft. And we see that time and time again with good GMs and not understanding that though, not understanding that probability that you're going to miss the probability that you want to, you want to get as many shots as possible. You want to do, by the way, what Sashi did before he was fired at Cleveland not understanding that is just it's just unconscionable, I think, for for a GM. And and I think that you're right that he doesn't he doesn't seem to want to recognize that. And that I mean, I guess confidence confidence is probably is why he's there. Sure. It's confidence is why he got to the point he's there. But I think that not understanding that is really a detriment to to his GM ship. Bill Belichick has gotten better at evaluating, but as we know that he loves to trade down, right? And accumulate as many yep. picks as possible. And then if a pick fails, he will gladly keep a seventh rounder undrafted guy in front of that drafted player that who was picked much higher. Um, and I just talked about this with Danny Kelly yesterday. Like the Seahawks have been one of the most consistent franchises in the NFL. If you go back since like 2014 to look at their first pick in each draft, it's awful. It's like Kristen their Michael. have been bad. It's Jermaine Fetty. It's Malik McDowell. Yeah. It's a lot of players that aren't making a single impact for that team or a negative one. And they are still maintaining success. Why? Because most of those first picks are second round picks because they're trading out of the first round to accumulate more picks. That's how you win the draft. And I know he's doing it here, but he's doing it here at the price of giving up a, a Hall of Fame talent rather than, let's say last year, moving out of the second pick rather than not listening to a single offer 
and accumulating those three second round picks that Chris Ballard did. And what did Chris Ballard do with those? He built a youthful roster that is super talented. Shall we move on? <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it seems like it's enough. I do want to mention a couple things for the Giants. Sure. Yeah, go First ahead. of all, unless Corey Coleman rises from the dead, which I know that you are still holding out hope for. My, my shrine is still set up in my room. And I, so I take a knee before it every single night and <laughs> pray to the stars. But unless that happens, Sterling Shepard is their only wide receiver. And so he's seen a small boost without Beckham in his career. It's not really been what you would expect. Although do I, I think he was hurt for some of that time, especially in 2017 that, that Beckham was out, but obviously that's going to happen. But if you look at the splits and you really want to identify someone who benefits from this trade, the answer is Evan Ingram. He's averaged two more targets, 21 more yards and 4.4 PPR points per game without Beckham during his two seasons. He could really return to that kind of rookie farm where he was the tight end, four in per game scoring. And that was even a, a better year for tight ends than there was last year. So Evan Ingram is, is someone that you can really you know, keep an eye on here. No one's going to be down on Saquon Barkley, obviously from this, but I think people are going to get upset with his efficiency or, or maybe get nervous about it. But Ray, you know, better than anyone that his game, sure, it can be efficient, but he's still the type that even if there's poor blocking, even if there's going to be a ton of people in the box, he can break that one play every single game. And he most likely will for, you know, he might have 18 carries for 30 yards and then that one will break off a 70 yard run. And while we don't want to count on that for other running backs, I think we can still count on that with Saquon Barkley. Yeah. I mean, it's not like in college you appreciated his blocking. And then you also look at this and say, I mean, he had 353 touches as a rookie, 352, something like that. I mean, there's a real chance he even betters that crazy number. So yeah. we're looking, I'm not worried at all about Saquon. He, he's about to get the Christian McCaffrey treatment at like 90 yeah. something percent of his snaps in his second season. Uh, okay, let's go to another big move. That is Le'Veon Bell joining the New York Jets. Uh, it was not released in his album, even though in the Slack chat last night at midnight, uh, we had <laughs> Hayden Winks listening to it and he has listened to some bad rap in his past and, and many from athletes and this was the worst album he has ever listened to. Like eight of the 10 songs were the worst songs he's ever heard. Anyways, he joins. Also a glowing recommendation. A glowing recommendation from Hayden Winks. Uh, Le'Veon Bell joins the Jets on a four-year, $52.5 million deal with $35 million guaranteed. Ray, my question to you is this. Are we going to see the same Le'Veon Bell that we saw in Pittsburgh with the New York Jets? Well, I mean, what Le'Veon Bell are you talking about? Are you talking about the one who we all fell in love with? Are you talking about the one in 2017 who wasn't quite the you know the same player that that he had been? I I mean, he was still very good. He was still one of the best running backs in the league. But now he's taken a year off. We still don't know that whole weight report. We don't know what all of that was about. If he really did put on that weight, he's taking it off. I I don't think you can. We will know the answer to that until preseason rolls around. We really get a chance to look at him. What I will say is that there were lots of places he could have landed that maybe he wasn't going to be treated in quite the same way as he would have as he was in Pittsburgh in quite the same kind of workhorse way. I, I don't think that's the case here. I think he landed in a spot where he's just he's going to get the ball and going to get the ball a lot. I know Adam Gaze seemed to lean more towards a committee in Miami, but I mean there's there's nobody really to pair with him. Bilal Powell is a free agent. Isaiah Crowell, I would assume, is going to get cut. You're not really worried about Elijah McGuire or Trenton Cannon, you know, really stepping up and taking that that spot. So I think Bell's going to be the guy. We'll see what that looks like. But I mean, we've even seen, you know, guys like LaShawn McCoy, not this past year, but later in their careers, even maybe when they weren't as efficient as they once were, getting even on a bad offense, which this offense has a chance to be, you know, fine, 
they were able to just through pure volume go and, and become running back ones. And I think we could see that for Bell as well. And it, you also have to add that the Jets upgraded their offensive line a little bit there with, mm-hmm. with trading for Kalichio Samele, play opposite Brian Winter as a guard. If they are able to find a center, then that starts to look like a pretty good unit. So all of this considered, there there could have been much worse landing spots for Le'Veon. Where this ranks Le'Veon Bell amongst other running backs, it's, it's interesting. There's like a tier of three at the top and then everyone else if we're talking about second contract running backs. And you know that top Todd Gurley and David Johnson are up there in that too. And now Le'Veon Bell basically splits the two with Todd Gurley obviously at one and David Johnson at three. It's become a consistent topic that you should not pay running backs. You should not take them in the top five and then you should not pay them second contracts. Has it become like too much of a point to stand on that side and be like, no, 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 you should not do this. And I ask that because would you rather have going into the 2019 season? Trent Brown for $16.5 million or Le'Veon Bell for $13.5 million or like Donovan Smith for $13.7 million on a, a year or Le'Veon Bell for 13.5. Like he's going to impact this offense and the goal is for him to impact it just as much as he did with Pittsburgh. They had money to spend. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm sick of, of the talk that, well, you shouldn't pay running backs, but if we're talking about individual impact and building around a young rookie quarterback when you have money to spend, I think this is a fine deal here. Yeah, but I mean, we're not talking about it, Trent Brown versus Le'Veon Bell. We're talking about the difference between Trent Brown and who you would have, Colton Miller, I suppose, and Le'Veon Bell and who you could replace him. That's the idea. It's about opportunity cost. It's not about yeah. cost. It's about it's about the difference between those players. And the fact of the matter is the difference between top running backs and second-tier running backs, or even running backs who were the third string, hello, Damian Williams, on their team, it's just not that big. And I think at other positions, we see that there's a much larger gap and that, you know, maybe some players like Trent Brown probably shouldn't have gotten the deal he got. Donovan Smith looks like a bargain compared to compared to what Trent Brown ended up getting. We're really talking here about the difference. The difference between a good left tackle and a bad left tackle is much larger than the difference between a top tier running back and the third string running back that you can find on the street in, in September. So let's again focus on this Jets offense because it's going to look quite a bit different in that you have Jamison Crowder now in the slot and you have Le'Veon Bell in the backfield. And it's with Adam Gase. And it's not like Adam Gase stuck with one running back in Miami, Ray. No. Like he had his issues with Kenyon Drake, it certainly seemed like. He got Kalen Bellage running at the end of the season. And then he also had Frank Gore, obviously, for much of the year. And he sent Jay Ajayi packing the year before that. Like he's, he's, he's all over the place with running backs. Right. This isn't a situation where he has a history of using a back on 80, 85% of the time, which is what Le'Veon was basically used to when healthy. This is one of those situations where I don't know what the other options are. And and it's yeah. not like it's not like those other backs you're talking about were on rookie contracts. JJ was on a rookie contract. Kenyon Drake was on a rookie contract. Frank Gore wasn't getting paid very much because of his age. This is a different situation, I think, in my opinion. Even if they end up drafting a running back, which I I mean I doubt that they do, but like <laughs> That would be incredible. <laughs> that would be hilarious. But like this is a this is a this is a I think a very different situation. I'm not worried about that. I might be worried about what Le'Veon Bell looks like after a year out if he's in a worse offense. Although I will say, yeah. you know, touchdowns haven't been a big part of his fantasy value throughout his career. In fact, it's been the one thing missing from him from from him being like a, a transcendent type of fantasy player. That those are concerns, and that keeps him. You know, there's a log jam at the top of the running back group. But that that keeps him kind of at the bottom of that log jam. But I touches are not something that I'm I'm really concerned about for him. 
one of the key pieces of his game in Pittsburgh was taking those extended dump off passes from Ben Roethlisberger and picking up little chunks like two, five, seven yards. Like, and he would just do that over and over and over again. I wonder if that becomes more of a a piece for uh, Sam Darnold's style. And then I also wonder if his style, which is unique of Le'Veon Bell of basically stopping completely behind the offensive line and then slashing through a hole that he wants to, if that alters anything with, with the, with the Jets is all. All right, Ray. Uh, I also mentioned to you that I wanted to hit on Mark Ingram to the Baltimore Ravens. We don't know the guaranteed money, but right now it's a three-year deal for $15 million. We saw Gus Edwards be productive. We saw Kenneth Dixon be productive. We know that this is not a pass-first offense. It is definitely a run-first offense until Lamar Jackson proves otherwise. I absolutely love Mark Ingram in this situation, Ray. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great situation for him to end up because you look at you look at that depth chart and we obviously know that Gus Edwards you know ran really well at the at the end of last season in that offense and and was exceptional in what they asked him to do but he's a limited player he was targeted a grand total of of twice down the stretch last season you know Kenneth Dixon might be who I know you were I assume you're still a fan of I know you really liked coming out of school yeah his shrine is right next to Corey Coleman's so <laughs> it works out well See, last week we got all of my dirty laundry out there. Now we're going to get some of yours. So I assume that Kenneth Dixon could offer more in the passing game. But he kind of did as a rookie, although it wasn't you know the, the the greatest there. We didn't really see that last season. And so what I think is interesting about Ingram is he's going to come in and you know he can be the lead back and he can be kind of a powerful back in that in that running game. But I think what's maybe overlooked with Ingram is the type of receiver he's turned into. And he's not going to be a receiver that's down the field, you know, running routes 10 yards down the field. He's not going to be David Johnson or something like that. But he has become a very reliable and effective receiver in New Orleans. Over the last four seasons, he's caught 81% of his targets. He's averaged seven and a half yards per catch. He is probably their best receiving back right now on, on the roster. I, I mean, it depends on what you think of Dixon. It's that kind of versatility he's going to offer them in that offense while also being able to kind of do what Edwards does. Plus, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. It's a great landing spot. We saw Edwards last year over the back half of the season from week 11 on, he was a running back too, even in PPR leagues with absolutely no receiving production. I mean, Ingram could be that, plus some receptions, depending on how much they use him. I, I think that this is a this is a great landing spot for him. And I think that Ingram might be overlooked a little bit because of, you know, kind of all the things going on. But I, I really like this spot. And we know Gus Edwards' game is running in a straight line off of many read situations and trying to win on first contact. Like, talk about downhill runner. That is Gus Edwards. At the very least, we know Mark Ingram can do that. And Ray, firstly, on the other side of this, what does this do to New Orleans? And I know that Mark Ingram missed a handful of games to start last season, and Alvin Kamara is one of the best young backs in the league. And as much as you just talked about Mark Ingram's receiving ability, we know, again, that Alvin Kamara is maybe one of the best, if not the best, in that category as well. They added Latavius Murray. I like Latavius Murray. I think Latavius Murray is one of the best like five-yard line and in backs in the league. But he's going to have to have his role expanded a little bit more. Yeah, I think that I think that Latavius, when you look at him, you say, all right, the things that people really associate with Mark Ingram, punching in touchdowns, kind of being that bruising back, I, Latavius can do that for sure. And and that could be actually a, a good fantasy spot for him. Ingram scored 19 touchdowns in 28 games over the last two seasons, had 41 opportunities inside the 10 uh, during that span. And Latavius can, you know, those things and can do those things well. But... I, he's not as versatile a weapon as Ingram. I don't think he's as—he's certainly not as good a player, in my opinion, 
as Mark Ingram. And that kind of leads you towards saying, what if we're going to get the Alvin Kamara that we saw at the beginning of last year, who averaged 22.75 touches per game over the first four games last season? He was far and away the best fantasy running back over that span. He scored 28 more PPR points than Todd Gurley during that run. And the fact that they brought in Latavius, who is Latavius is better than the options they had at that point while Ingram was suspended, suggests to me that we're not going to see Kamara get back to that level. But even if he's touching on because of his efficiency, even if he's tacking on two more touches a game, three more touches a game, he was already a top five running back. He's going to get those extra touches. Maybe he gets more of the red zone work because it's Latavius and not Ingram. Like there is, we know what Kamara is. We know what his floor is if he's staying on, on the field. But this adds just a, another kind of notch to his ceiling. And I'm, I'm very intrigued by what we see from Kamara moving forward. I guess we should quickly touch on Tevin Coleman, who's now with the San Francisco 49ers. A big surprise. Two-year deal, $10 million contract. We don't know the guarantees. Uh, Ray, just this time last year, we were talking about Jarek McKinnon signing there and being like the foundation piece, basically, of Kyle Shanahan's running game that never got going. Jarvis early on, maybe like the first practice towards ACL after signing a multi-year deal. We have no idea if Tevin Coleman is just replacing Jarek McKinnon, but we do have an idea of what Tevin Coleman previously did with head coach Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, and I think what was interesting about Coleman whenever Shanahan was there is we kind of wrote him off as a receiver after his first season. He had 11 targets. He caught two of them. I believe he had like six drops. It was some crazy number of drops. And we, we wrote him off as a receiver. And then the next year, in that outstanding Falcons offense of 2016, he came out and he just was a, a matchup nightmare under Kyle Shanahan in the passing game. And he, they were able to use him to get him against linebackers, get him down the field. He made a, a lot of big plays. I think I'm remembering that Denver game that he had. He had some some massive, I believe it was against Denver. He had some you know massive plays in that game. So you look at that whole situation and you go, well, I guess maybe they're bringing him in to do that kind of thing. But then you say, well, isn't that what Jarek McKinnon would have been last year? Isn't that kind of what Matt Breida can be? And I mean, that's without considering the other running backs they have on that roster. So it's it's a really interesting situation. I don't know how it's going to play out. We will probably get more clarity in the next month. I believe that there's an April 1st deadline for some money in Jarek McKinnon's deal. I believe that's the case. And if, if that is, then we'll probably figure out in the next couple of weeks whether or not McKinnon's going to stick around. But it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mess there right now until we kind of yeah. see how this how this is going to work out. But I will say Coleman coming back to a coach who was really able to get the most out of him, especially in the passing game. That's that's a good thing if the touches work out. Ray, it's been a crazy three days. Uh, did any signings, moves, acquisitions kind of fly under the radar in your opinion? Yeah, I think one of them that was that was interesting to me that I don't know if it got as much ink as it maybe should have was Mike Davis signing with the bears. It's really, I mean, like it's down there. There's some things have to happen for Mike Davis to really come into fantasy value. But I mean, they've been talking about getting rid of Jordan Howard ever since they hired Matt Nagy. It seems that that picked up a little bit this year. They still hasn't happened. So we don't know, but if that happens, if Howard were to get cut, then Davis is in a really interesting situation. First of all, he's coming off a a very good year. He made the most of his opportunities in the running game and showed some ability as a receiver, something which obviously is really important in that offense. One of the reasons why Jordan Howard is on his way out of that offense. And the other part of this is if Howard leaves, I mean, 
that opens up a massive hole. Despite Howard struggling and maybe not really being the best fit, he touched the ball 270 times last season, including 36 times in the red zone and 21 times inside the 10. If he leaves, that's a massive fantasy opportunity for somebody. It could be a rookie. Mm-hmm. They, probably, they probably would end up drafting a rookie. But as it stands right now, Mike Davis is best positioned to come in and, and kind of take on that role. So that's really interesting. If you're kind of in a shallow dynasty league and for some reason he wasn't rostered, that's that's someone who I'm maybe flew under the radar a little bit, but I'm, I'm really interested to see what turns out for him. Yeah, the Bears are bringing in a lot of running back prospects on visits. Already have, I think, two underway. Um, and I, I did a hit for uh, NBC Sports Chicago every week during the season, so I would watch the Bears game every week. And a lot of those Jordan Howard runs, I don't have a figure in front of me, but just from my, my eyes told me, were in neutral or positive uh, game script situations in the fourth quarter. Those are ideal runs that we want out of a fantasy running back, right, Ray? And so if Mike Davis is in in those situations, that's fantastic. That's exactly what we want. Uh, I'll give you one, Ray, and it's certainly a, a high-profile name, but it hasn't gotten the love because he's basically the third best wide receiver move of this offseason, and that's Deshaun Jackson. Yeah. Like Deshaun Jackson going to the Philadelphia Eagles, there might not be a better fit from a an acquisition standpoint during this three-day period. Um, it's exactly one, what Philadelphia Eagles needed. This rounds out their wide receiver group. And this, to me, catapults Carson Wentz back to his MVP caliber status. This is a drastic need that the Eagles had. And they tried to fill it last year in free agency. They tried to fill it during the season. None of it worked. We know that at times uh, the offense was not up to the same standard that it was in 2017. Uh, And now you add on perhaps the ideal, the epitome of the player and role that you want as a downfield weapon who balled out last year when Ryan Fitzpatrick gave him opportunities. Deshaun Jackson to me, Ray, is is a trade that should be making more headlines, but it's not because of Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown. To your point, I think you made the point. It's not as much for him that it's great as it is for Carson Wentz because Jackson, I mean, targets are going to be a real concern and he's going to make his big plays. We'll we'll see what happens. But for Wentz to have that kind of player and then they, by the way, they also kept Nelson Aguilar, who's going to be able to go back into the slot where he's, well, they have Zach Ertz in there. This is, I think this is a really good news for Carson Wentz. And Dallas Goddard, like Deshaun Jackson is just the prime best ball pick. Ray, that's wraps up our football chat. Uh, Everyone out there knows that Ray and I will be doing some Q&A podcast throughout the offseason. We did not do one this week because... Man, oh man, was it loaded. Uh, but we did want to hit you with a little bit of flavor. Uh, and if you do have a Q&A question, just tweet them over at us. That works or on my Instagram, Josh J. Norris. Here's one that we had in the database. Um, it's from Ryan from Richmond. What is the best Harry Potter book? And what is the best Harry Potter film? So I have a I have a confession. So I want you to go first Uh-oh. here. Okay, <laughs> that's dangerous. <laughs> my confession is that I've never actually read the Harry Potter books. Not because... I oh don't gosh. love the story and love the universe. I, I very much do. I've been to the Harry Potter studio in in you know North London, Watford. I love the universe. I absolutely adore it. I don't read fiction. I have so much, so much that I love co- from a pop culture perspective that I have to make a decision. And I I watch my fiction and I read my nonfiction and that's that's the way it is. I can't say what my favorite movie is, but I think that you are better. Did you like the movies, or did you like some of the movies, or at least one of the movies? Yes, I did. What if I told you that the books are better than the movies? I would believe you because books have a, are able to go more in depth and they're able to tell more story. 
But as Jim Gaffigan famously once said, my favorite part of the movie, no reading. And uh, I was able to finish it in two hours, two hours and 15 minutes. And that's important for me. Right. Why, why do you listen to podcasts? Do you I listen do. to audiobooks? I do. Yeah. Well, I don't listen to audiobooks. Yeah. Okay. Well, the Harry Potter audiobooks are some of the best audiobooks out there. Like how they're read, um, the delivery. It's fantastic. I don't understand if you enjoy something like the movie, the film, not wanting to dive a little bit deeper, get to know these characters, get to know the, well, because the I, world a little bit more. Well, because I can, because wikis exist. Like, this is the deal, is that... So you read wikis, yeah, I do. but you're not going to read the book? Yeah, it's condensed. It doesn't take me as long. I do the same thing with, uh, with Song of Ice and Fire. Okay, Ray, then I will take the baton here Go for, for this. The best book is Goblet of Fire. And I also have to put myself back into the time period of when I read these because I do want to go back and, and read them at some point. Now it's not the time. I do not have the time to do that. But part of the love that really the movie does not capture in the book are the Quidditch sessions. Okay. And this incorporates Quidditch with everything else. And Quidditch goes away as everyone knows. Yep. You, you get to pick the best film first. I think it's prisoners of Azkaban. Okay, you are forgiven. All right. See, see, I know, I, I know a little about the Harry Potter universe. I think that for me, it that tonal shift. The first of all, I mean, being directed by Coron is just like, <laughs> it's such a hilarious thing to have him two time winner for best director. Exactly to have him come in. Like two years later, I think he directed Children of Men. So like to have him yeah. come in and do, which is outstanding by the way, to have him come in and do like a Harry Potter movie is, is amazing. But like what he was able to do, like he changed the kind of entire course of that series tonally, visually, everything about it changed. It's also a great story. I love, you know, everything that has to do with that kind of relationship and what we find out throughout, throughout the end with Harry and Sirius. So like, I think that I, that is probably my, my favorite movie. Uh, quick Harry Potter story. Uh, I was a boy scout during the time that these were coming out and it was right before order of the Phoenix. Okay. And I was leaving the next day to go on a boy scout trip up in the boundary waters between Minnesota and Canada. Um, a canoeing trip that lasted for a week. Uh, I wanted that Harry Potter book. Um, so I stayed up till midnight, went to the release and got it. Even though when I went to the airport the next day, obviously all the bookstores just had them all sprawled out. I was an idiot. Okay. I was like 13. Uh, so then we get up. That's hold on. That's the most Josh Norris story I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> no, it's not over. So what we do is with the boundary waters, what it is, you do portages. Okay. And what portages are, and we had three canoes among, I think like seven people, something like that. Um, you carry all of your stuff between lakes. And so you row, you go through a lake, you canoe, and then you get to a path that then you have to carry all of your stuff. And they can be as like, they can be a hundred yards and they can be a mile or more. So we didn't, we weren't able to carry very much because we had to carry the canoes. We had to carry our clothes. We had to carry the tents. We had to carry the food. And so we were given a pack about the size of one of those, brown grocery bags, right? For the entire week. I decided, and actually it was much smaller than that. I decided to bring the Harry Potter book as part of my pack. So I had to like wear the same clothes for five days straight, just so I could have some reading material throughout the week. And it was great. It was, it was well worth it, right? I mean, to be fair, everybody stunk. So what did it really matter? Like, I, right. I think, I believe that you made you made the correct decision. But I read the books, right? Yeah. Apparently that's not worth your time. 
I mean, it, w- w- when those books were coming out, I was, you know, I was deep into being deep into being a young, angry teenager. You weren't, so. you weren't reading nonfiction during the time those books came out. No, I was more reading. Uh, I was more reading like the the kind of quote unquote classics. I thought that that I thought that that's what who cool people are you? do. Well, you know, I was a brooding teenager who listened to emo, so I thought I had to. I thought I had to read. <laughs> I thought I had to read like Withering Heights, so I could, so I could, I could have conversations with adults. And now you're here stuck with me recording a podcast at 9 p.m. Eastern on a Wednesday night. That's uh, Ray. Thanks so much, buddy. Everyone out there, be sure to go check out the rest of our podcast from this week. Be sure to go check out everyone's content up on Roto World. Again, if you like this podcast, rate, review, hit that subscribe button. And again, if you are if you play fantasy baseball, go check out Roto World's live baseball mock draft. It should be on the Roto World YouTube page. We'll talk to you all soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.